we're going to, um, I'm going to introduce some speakers that are in our youth department, and uh, they're going to come up and give the message this morning. Uh, but before we get into that, I really would like for us to um, just kind of appreciate and take notice of our student worship band. So if we could just like give them a shout out right now, that'd be awesome. And I just want to point out, you probably didn't notice that it was a student takeover based on the band, because they're up here almost every week, um, and they're serving our church community. Uh, you don't see that in every church. Um, also, you could go to the children's department right now, and maybe you venture over there, and you'll notice that there are some students in our children's department and serving uh, in our children's department. And that's something that's very unique as well. Um, on Sunday mornings, we actually don't even have a program for our high schoolers because they're all serving in the church. And we think that's super healthy. We think that is going to uh, be good for them in the future. And we're raising up leaders through our youth ministry. So um, also, none of that could be done unless we had really awesome youth leaders. And so I just want to take some time now that I've got the mic this morning. Um, if you're a student leader, if you have been a student leader, if you work with youth, could you just stand up and can we honor you right now and just congratulate? Look around. These are people that tirelessly week in and week out, they're here on Wednesdays um, serving. They're going to beach trips, they're going to camps and retreats, spending 24-7 with these kids at camp sometimes. I don't know why you would ever want to do that, but they do it, and they do it gladly. They don't get paid like I do, so I just want to honor them uh, this morning. Um, I Like, God really has to get a hold of your heart if you want to serve with kids for free. I don't know about you, but that just doesn't sound like good to me. But you probably not something you want to hear from your youth pastor, huh? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so this morning, we're going to talk about the church is. And um, we have a saying going around our youth department uh, for several years, even before I came here. And um, I just, I really think this rings true. That our youth is not the church of tomorrow. Rather, it's the church of today. Our youth is not the church of tomorrow which we often think. We think, oh, yeah, we're, we're putting into the next generation. But we're rather the church of today. And so when we talk about that, we want to understand, well, what does that mean? What does being the church actually mean? So today we're going we're gonna to answer some of those questions. You may be sitting there and you think, well, uh, what is the church? What is my role? What am I supposed to do with the church isn't there more than just like showing up on a Sunday, ticking it off our list, and going about our business throughout the week? Be encouraged, it is. There's more than that. But we're going to discover some of that stuff today. We're going to talk about it. And we've got a lineup of some awesome, incredible, blessed speakers that speak to our youth on rotation. And um, we're going to start out with Mr. Andrew Brains right here. Pastor Andrew... You know him as our children's pastor, but he also is a leader in our junior high department. And honestly, I can tell you that without his help, without the help of our, our other leaders, it literally, like, youth would not happen. 
It just wouldn't. If it was all up to me, we would have popsicles in the park and call it a day. But we have some great, talented young leaders that were rising up in the church. And so uh, we'll start off with Andrew Baines. Thanks, Pastor Justin. Yeah. I love working with the guy. My name's Andrew Baines, and I'm the children's pastor here at Sanctuary. I also help in youth. I'm Justin's right-hand man. Usually, I'm more of a pain in the butt than a help to him, but I enjoy working with him. I love working with the youth. So today, I'm going to be talking about how the church is made up of the people. So after Jesus has died and ascends into heaven, his followers realize that they need to start and start spreading God's word about them, and they are the first people that start a Christian church. So if we turn your Bibles into Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So who are the people that we are talking about in these verses. These are the first Christians. They were the first people to consider, to be considered as Christians or Christ followers, Christ-like, right? They are breaking bread together. They are praying together. So where do these verses say that these people met to worship God? Well, it says in verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple Together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So, where do these verses say that these people met to worship God? They met in the temple courts and at their homes. How did these people treat each other? Well, if they were eating together, they were probably family, they were friends, they were with each other 24-7. What did they do together when they met? Well, they prayed for each other. They worshiped together. They were with each other. How often did they meet? Did they only meet just Sunday mornings? No, they were probably meeting every day of the week, living life together. What was their name of the church? It was Sanctuary. No, their church did not have a name. They did not have a church building. But you see, the people in these verses, they were the church. I looked up the definition of church in the dictionary, and here's what it said. The part of the whole Christian body or of a particular denomination belonging to the same city, country, or nation. You see, the church here, by definition, is a group of people. People that we meet, people that meet together to do church together, to build each other up, to equip each other. So the building we are meeting in right now is not the church. It's a church building, but the church is us. The church is me. The church is you. We take the church with us wherever we go. Wherever we go, we take the church because we are the church. In Matthew 18, 20, it says, 
Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with you. So the question to ask is, where is your church? Your church could be at your work. Your church could be in your home. Your church could be at the restaurant that we're all heading to after this. Your church could be in Cherry Valley, Calamesa, Beaumont. The church is wherever we are. The church is you. The church is me. Let me say that again. The church is us. We are the church. These four walls don't define the church. We are the church. I was in a Bible study, and I could see Christ living through people. This guy, he was the church. There's another guy who would come up to me at the ranch when we did drive-in church and would ask me how my day's going. He would ask how school going, and he said he wants to grow up to be like me. I wanted to grow up to be like him. He was Christ-like. He was acting out the church. So I want to challenge us as a church to have the courage to be the church. I want to introduce my good friend. We pick on each other like siblings, Sarah Willard. Good morning, everyone. Uh, You may recognize me from seeing me help out with the kids or in the youth ministry or on the announcements just a couple minutes ago. But if not, my name is Sarah Willard. Welcome to Sanctuary Church, and I'm so excited that we're all here today. To begin, I just want to say that I do have a tendency to talk fast just because it's kind of my natural speed all the time. Uh, You may have been able to tell during the announcements, but that could be amplified the stage. So if I ever start talking too fast, just throw some tomatoes at me and I'm sure I'll get what you're saying and I'll slow down. But today we'll be talking about how our church is passion. Now let's begin by clarifying. What is passion? A passion is something that you care about more than other things. It's something you enjoy doing or just something you love. Some of mine being Marvel, music, reading, etc. If you know anything about me, you know most likely that I'm a big nerd. You know that I usually have a pair of headphones or earphones on me and I'll pay an extra $10 a month for Spotify Premium. And that I will most likely have a book on me just in case of any alone time or downtime. When you have passions, you spend more time doing that thing because you love it, it brightens your day, and it comforts you. On that note, let's read from Acts 17, 16 through 19. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, maybe know what their new teaching is that you're presenting? Here we read that Paul is preaching Jesus Christ's story and the love he has for us. We see the religious leaders thinking that he was crazy for what he was preaching. But they were far off in this assessment because Paul wasn't crazy. He was passionate. Now we'll flip back just a couple more pages to Acts 2, 38 through 41. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. 
Here, we have Peter passionately preaching to people. These same people, after listening to him preach, are coming to know Jesus and even be baptized. 3,000. It says 3,000 people were passionate. 3,000 people were brought to the word of God because Peter was passionate about preaching the word of God. We see people of the early church's passion. Their passion leading them to travel around and to share the word of God. They didn't care what the naysayers thought. They endured whatever they had to in order to share the word of God and to share their passion. Some were imprisoned for what they taught. Others were even killed. Obviously, these guys had major passion for Jesus. In conclusion, is it okay to be passionate about other things in life? Yes, of course. It's okay for me to love Marvel or reading or music and for you guys to have and express your other passions as well. But our main focus should be on our passion for Jesus. If you think about it, Jesus is passionate about us. And if we, the church, are not passionate about Christ, then we're being selfish, keeping to ourselves the greatest news this world has ever known. And... To him, he loves us all. He died on the cross for us all and all of our sins. That alone isn't reason for us to be passionate about him. The church is passionate and we need to be passionate about our church. That's all for me today. Now the wonderful Nate. Hello again, everybody. <laughs> Long time no see. Um, hey, continuing in our passage in Acts chapter 2, Sarah actually set up my context for me very well. So Peter preaches his sermon on Pentecost, and 3,000 people are added to their number that day. And where I want to go is pick up right there and continue this. So verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, and they, the 3,000 who just were added to their number, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves. So the Greek word here is proskartereo. Can you all say it with me? One, two, three. Hey, pretty good, pretty good. It's this idea of persisting in adherence to or intently engaging in something. So they were devoted, they were persistent in devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. And so I want to apply that to us today. That ought to be our devotion and our persistence that we are devoted to these things. So I just want to give a couple notes on each one of those things. As we move right along here. So the first one is the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles, the 12 disciples who had walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, and if you're familiar with the New Testament, we know that Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus and uh, surrendered him to the Jews so that they could crucify him. And in chapter 1, Judas is replaced by another man. Now, these 12 disciples had received the word from Jesus to go into all the world because Jesus has authority in all of heaven and all of earth to make disciples of the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. And so we get to see the apostles, like right after that, engaged in what? Teaching. Now, they were called to make disciples, and to make a disciple is to teach somebody. A disciple is a student, and a discipler is a teacher. And so the disciples were teaching the nations, and Jesus says in Acts 1.8, to go into Jerusalem, where they are now, and then Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So they get started right away after the Holy Spirit falls upon them and animates them to go begin this ministry of Christianizing the world, of preaching the gospel beginning in Jerusalem. And so they do just that. But don't forget this, as admiring as it is that the apostles obeyed their Savior and that they went to teach the church 
the 3,000 who have received the Holy Spirit are devoted to that teaching. Just as important as it was for the apostles to teach, it was just as important for the church to listen, to be devoted to that teaching, to learn and grow as students, as disciples of Christ. So the first habit that I want to talk about for us today is that we ought to develop in our life a devotion for the Word of God, a devotion to the teaching of the apostles. Now, what's the best way to do this? Well, pretty simple. Read your Bible. You probably expected to come to church and hear that today, but we can't stress it enough. You need to be in this good book. All scripture is breathed out by God. Theonustas, God breathes this word out and we get to read his own breath, his words put in paper through his apostles. So you want to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? We have 27 books of it right here in the New Testament as an extension of the Old Testament as well, of course. Read your Bible. And secondly, continue coming to church and receiving teaching. Our pastors and our elders will teach and they will do their very best as we're called to speak the word of God accurately and to inform you of what it says and how we ought to obey it. So we need to be in our Bibles and we need to continue to come together to be taught and to learn. The second thing is fellowship. Now, in Greek, the word koinonia, that we translate fellowship, communicates this idea of partnership, of co-ownership in something. So somehow that we may illustrate this is if I were to buy a car and then you were to come and buy a car with me, we both put our names on, <coughs> excuse me, we both put our name on the title. We are koinonia of this car. We share in this car. We are co-heirs, co-partners in this car. It's yours and it's mine. Now, what does the church fellowship in? What does the church co-share in? It's Christ in his purchasing of us by his precious blood, by him making us one with God and one with one another through his precious blood that was spilt. So we may come from so many different walks of life, different uh, jobs, different uh, genders, different ages, different places in society, different ethnicities, but what is it that we share in common? It is the spilled blood of Jesus Christ that covers us and his love that unites us. Amen? We're united by Christ. And in order to live out this fellowship, to be co-sharers in the gospel, we must get together. We must be together. We gather on Sunday mornings, but the disciples, it says, were gathering day by day. They were gathering throughout the week. They were finding ways to study in their homes, to go to the temple together, to go to the marketplace together. They did life together. And this is our calling to be co-sharers of the gospel and to do life together. Now, continuing on. <clears throat> oh, actually, no, one more point on that. John 13, 35, Jesus says, The world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And so we are all about reaching the world. We, we want to get the gospel to the ends of the earth so every tribe, tongue, language, and nation will serve him. But where does it start? It starts in our fellowship. Our love for one another, our co-sharing in the gospel together and living that out will show the world that we are Jesus' disciples. Jesus also says that the world will know that the Father has sent the Son into the world to save it by our love for one another, by our gathering together. So you want to reach the world, may seem backwards, but the first step is to gather with God's people. Now, 
moving on. <laughs> the third thing is the breaking of bread. Now, I want to suggest to you two things that we can draw from this. First of all, the Lord's Supper has been practiced by the church ever since the beginning. Jesus instituted this in the, right before he went to the cross in the upper room. And I want to read to you a passage in um, 1 Corinthians 11. You're welcome to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul is writing, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what's the next thing that the church is persistent in is breaking bread and practicing the Lord's supper together. And why do we do that? A couple things we can extract from this passage in 1 Corinthians is that we engage in the Lord's supper together to remember to remember the crown of thorns that was put on Jesus' head, to remember the nails that went through his hands, to remember the beating and the mocking and the scorning, him marching down the road to Calvary and being crucified for our sin. We remember. It's a sign of the new covenant. Now, in the, in the former days, God had instituted his law where, where Israel was to sacrifice animals to cover their sin, and they were to uh, engage in all of these different kinds of practices and adherence to the law. Now, Jesus came to fulfill that law. He didn't abolish it, but he fulfilled it, meaning this, instead of the, bulls of the, the blood of bulls and goats covering the sins of God's people, Jesus Christ is the new great high priest who makes atonement, makes us one with God by his own blood. Jesus made atonement for us by his own blood. And in instituting this sign of communion, he calls us to remember and to have a sign of that new covenant. Now, one more thing from it. Paul says that every time we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. Notice he does not say and resurrection. He says we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, why is that? His death is where sin was paid for on the cross. The shed blood of Jesus Christ is what paid the ransom for us who believe. We are forgiven of our trespasses and sins. We are washed in his blood, and we remember his death. And although there is a somberness to remembering his death, there's also immense joy in celebration, realizing that on the cross, he disarmed the power of the devil. And on the cross, he paid for our sins because the wages of sin is death and Jesus died. That's something we ought to remember. The church is persistent in remembering the shed blood of Jesus Christ through breaking bread. Now, furthermore, I believe that what this passage is communicating is that they engaged in fellowship together and ate meals together. So in history, the early church would practice the Lord's Supper, but not in the same fashion that we tend to practice it today where we just pass uh, a little thing of juice and a little thing of little cracker, they would actually have a full-on feast together. They called it the agape feast, the love feast. They would sit around a table and they would eat together and they would remember, they would even celebrate the death of the Lord Jesus around a table because they loved God and loved one another. And so there's something that we need to take from that, that maybe we ought to eat meals together more often. Maybe we ought to seek out opportunities to have 
fellowship together around the table. There's something special about that. And the apostles were devoted to breaking bread together. And lastly, they were devoted to the prayers. The church ought to be devoted to prayer. Amen? The church ought to be devoted to pray. In Acts chapter 4, if we were to skip ahead a couple chapters, we would see the apostles and the church together in one place, praying for boldness because the Roman Empire was persecuting them so violently. And they pray for boldness and the threshold of the house that they're in shakes because they prayed for boldness and the Spirit moved and answered them. The church ought to be devoted to prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and you likely know the rest. We are, and he was addressing not just individuals, but he was addressing a crowd of people. This was in a sermon on the mount. Many people were listening to him teach this. And so I want to suggest to you that we ought to be praying in our individual lives. We ought to be praying in our homes with our families on the regular. And we ought to be praying with the church. We gather together to pray And I'm hoping to see the threshold of the floor shake one of these days as we pray for boldness in this world in our day and age. We ought to be devoted to pray and watch how the Holy Spirit moves through us and uses us to accomplish his kingdom purposes. So in conclusion, we've talked about how we are to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayer. And notice these things seem rather ordinary, don't they? They seem rather ordinary, but God uses them for extraordinary means. Now think about this. Even in the Roman Empire where the Christians are being persecuted, the Christians are kind of the laughingstock. They're a minority. The Jews think that they're a bunch of blasphemers, and the Romans think they're a threat to the kingdom, and the Romans want them dead. And the the Christians are engaging in these ordinary practices, and it said back in in our Acts passage that day by day, many people were being added to their number through these ordinary means. And so my challenge to us today is that we need to be engaged in these four things, just as a start at least, that we need to be devoted to teaching, to know our Bibles. We need to be devoted to prayer. We need to break bread together. We need to remember Christ's death, and we need to be devoted to fellowship. And it will be a blessing to you. It will be a blessing to God's people. And the world will see and they will know that the Father has sent the Son into the world to save it. Amen? Amen. So, with that, I want to welcome up Anthony Parker. Would you give it up for him as he brings the word and continues this morning? Good morning, Sanctuary. How are we doing? Good. I know Rod said that I had to do the cleanup job, but I feel like there's not much to clean up. Uh, I also know that I will never be speaking behind Nate because he killed that. Anyways, um, yeah, I I, want to propose something. I believe as Christians, uh, we ought to think and believe in the self-sufficiency of God. I believe that God is self-sufficient. I believe that God um, is perfectly um, majesty as himself. We add nothing to him. Um, and we, uh, we take nothing from him. God is God. He is good. Um, and, and he is sovereign. And all that means is, is he's the leader of the leads. Um, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. We see that in scripture. Um, but God is God. Uh, we, don't, we don't have, um, as his creation, the authority to tell him what he is. God gets the authority to tell um, us what we are. Um, so that being said, 
if, if God has this self-sufficiency in him, what would be our motive to evangelize? What would be our motive to um, promote um, the church? What would be our motive to go outside of these walls, as Andrew talked about, and go be the church? What would be our motive? Our motive would have to come from our purpose, our purpose of why God created us. And the purpose of why God created us is simply found in Genesis 3, to walk in the coolness of day with God, to be in perfect, intimate relationship with God, to find him, to be with him, to bring him glory, honor, and give all the surrender and, and, and promise back to him. Let God rule your life. That is the purpose of, of why we were created, to bring God glory and honor. God moves in glory. God doesn't move in foolishness. We do that. Creation does that. Just by our sinful nature, we love to move in foolishness. But might we be saved from foolishness through Christ, through the Savior of the world, through Jesus dying for the world by his blood, and, and he's offering us forgiveness that we, that we talk about in Acts 2. God moves in wisdom. God doesn't move in foolishness. God moves in glory. So, so t- speaking on evangelism and speaking about uh, the promotion of the church and how we ought to do it, um, I, I just believe that there is no better way to do it than Matthew 28. So if you want to turn your Bibles um, to Matthew 28, verse 16, um, it, is, it is something that I'm sure a lot of Christians are familiar with. I'm sure you, most of you can quote it, uh, but it's the Great Commission. And here it is in verse 16. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, I just want to kind of briefly give a little bit of context here in this, in this pa- passage. Um, it's important to, to recognize that the gospel of Matthew as, as writings to a Jewish audience. And a Jewish audience, is, as Nate talked about, uh, were so, so um, um, cared for and, and, and only were brought up and taught and led by the old covenant. And Christ here is claiming to um, speak of a new covenant, a new covenant that is of him a new covenant that is belief in a repentant heart um, to receive the grace that he gives freely, and he has established a new covenant. And as, as Nate said, we don't want to look at the law of God and go, oh, I don't need that anymore. We see that Christ came to fulfill the very thing that gave us bondage, but not to abolish it, to uphold the standard of God, but remember that we are, we are not able to fulfill those desires and deeds that God has before us, but Christ has redeems that scenario. So that being said, um, there is a little bit of context there. Um, So we know that the law is fulfilled. A new covenant is established through Christ. And then here's the best part of, I think, even this story. It says in, in, um, right here in verse 17, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. It has been given to Jesus. And why has the authority been given to Jesus? Because he has beat the very thing that keeps his creation, bondage, sin, and death. Jesus lives perfectly for us and raises himself from the dead so that we don't have to think twice about believing in him. 
Death is not an issue. Living perfectly is not obtainable, but through Christ, saving grace and majesty, we can believe in him because he has ultimate authority. So because he has ultimate authority, I I, I challenge you with this. May you not take the Great Commission as a suggestion, right, as Christians, and and we talk about the Great Commission as as something as, oh, you know, I think we should do this. No, it's not as uh, we think. It's something that Christ commands us to do, something that we have to do. We, we cannot sit in this, this Christian bubble within Sanctuary Church and the walls and not go share the gospel with lost and broken people who are living in that foolishness and sin. How loving is that? We, we had a, a, a magician last week t- t- uh, talk and preach to us, um, and, and, and there's a story of, of Penn and Teller, um, and I believe it's one of them. I think it's Penn, maybe. Um, but basically, he tells a story, and he goes... Um, if Christians truly believe in the gospel, they truly believe that I can be saved from sin and death, they'd be crazy not to tell us, right? And, th- and this is speaking from a, an atheist vo- view, this, this magician, right? An atheist view. He goes, you would have to hate me not to share that good news. And if Christians are moved by the glorious grace of God, then I pray that we would go love on people time and time again by giving them the gospel. Evangelism is simply just a witness of Christ by sharing the gospel. And going back to our purpose, sharing the gospel is the very thing that fulfills the human purpose as servants to God. It's the very thing. When we share the gospel, we are giving glory and honor to God as he deserves. We are walking according to how he has planned us to be saved from death and sin forevermore. And I want to turn to 1 Peter 1, 22, uh, verses uh, 22 through 25. Um, I'm almost done here, so I hope you guys aren't sleeping. Are you guys with me? All right, here we go, here we go. Uh, in verse 22, 1 Peter, it says this, Now uh, that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable through the living, enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Even in, in the account of, of, of First Peter here, they were, they were preached to. They were evangelized to. They were shared the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. That was the foundation in their belief. That doesn't make it, it doesn't make it different from us. May we be Christians that, that, that teach and preach and encourage. And knowing that evangelism is, is the very root of God's glorious grace. That I get to stand up here as a broken vessel for you. That a broken vessel for God. I don't deserve to be here yet. God's by, by his magic grace. I get to, to preach the word of God, of not something that perishes, not something that, that leads you with no hope, but the, the very thing that gives you hope, the word of God. So I, I hope you're encouraged by um, this, and, and, and I, I want to encourage you just with one more thing, and then um, PJ, Pastor Justin, can come back up. Um, but 
I, I hope the motive would not to, to go and evangelize and share the gospel um, to fill the, these seats. I hope the motive wouldn't be to make you know, sanctuary as big as possible. I hope that the, the goal and the glory of, of, of what I'm trying to get here is, is that you're fulfilling the purpose of why you were created to be by going and sharing the gospel. Sanctuary Church, let us be the church. Pastor Justin. Wow, what a great collection of teachers we are blessed with here at Sanctuary Church. Um, I just got a couple more thoughts, and uh, then I want to issue some challenges. Um, My prayer, first of all, is that you are convicted today. And you might be going, well, what, what? Why would you pray that? Well, let me, let me give you the difference between conviction and condemnation, right? Condemnation is, is a word where you feel condemned. And the devil wants to condemn you so that you feel the weight of your sin, right? But the Holy Spirit, rather, uses conviction. And conviction is, is a holy word. Conviction turns your heart back to God. The Holy Spirit uses conviction to say, hey, you're going the wrong way. Come back. Come back. It's where we get the word repent, right? Repent means I'm I'm going this way, going my way. And God says, how about you go Yahweh, right? Go my way. Go God's way. And so my prayer for you this morning is, is while you heard each of our speakers this morning, is that something was stirred in your hearts. You feel convicted about something. Because we could stand up here and teach, and we could stand up here and, and sing songs, and we can feel good about ourselves. And we could say, yeah, that person said a good thing. They made a good point. I agree with that. A lot of times I can convince myself that, yeah, I get it. That was a great point. But it means nothing unless you do something about it. That's where conviction comes in. The Holy Spirit is encouraging and urging you to do something with it. So I got a couple of challenges for you. We spoke about how the early church, they met in people's homes, right? They met in people's homes. My encouragement to you and my challenge to you is maybe on your way out, you stop by our welcome booth. There's a bulletin board there with all of our small groups in little boxes, cute little boxes where you could take a card, join a small group. You're going to learn way more about the Lord in circles rather than rows. You get what I'm saying? You're going to dive deep. You're going to do life together as the apostles did, as the early church did. Secondly, it says they gave all they had to the orphans and widows. They gave all they had. They literally were helping the community. We've got opportunities in our church to serve as well. You can go down to Hope City on a Sunday afternoon. That is our... uh, our sister church in San Bernardino, Pastor Jim Willard. You heard from Sarah Willard this morning, his daughter. You can literally feed orphans at Hope City. You can literally serve with other people in the church. You could 
serve orphans and widows in Mexico. We partner with uh, MCCA, Mexico Christian Children's Aid. You can do that. One day out of your week, you can head down to Mexico with them, feed some orphans, and come back home. That's all you got. That's all you got to do. You could build a house. For generations, people could live in a house in Mexico because you gave your time and your resources. Lastly, they shared their finances with those in need of the church. And we all are like, yes, I can do all these other things. Then when I start talking about money, I can feel the the room just crunch down. We don't like to talk about money. Let me guarantee you something. God can do immeasurably more with the 10% you give him than the 90% that you keep. I guarantee it. God is in the business of multiplication. And as as Nate pointed out, it's his anyways. He gave it to you. He blessed you to be a blessing. And so, because I have the microphone and I happen to be the youth pastor, I'm going to ask you to give it to camp, to, to youth camp. There's one place that you could put your money. You could help somebody get to camp. Why? Why am I asking you to send somebody to camp? Let me tell you a story. In the 1940s, there was a guy named Billy, and he went up to Forest Home Christian Conference Center. He takes a walk around Lake Mears. A lot of you know where Lake Mears is. We do baptisms there yearly. Maybe you've been there. This guy, Billy, he, he feels convicted, and he has a conversation with uh, Henrietta Mears. She's the founder of Forest Home Christian Conference Center, right up here in Forest Falls. And as they're walking, young Billy says, hey, I, f- I feel called to God's people. I feel called to do what God has asked me to do. And Henrietta encourages him. Yeah, you should, you should follow that. You should do what you feel God is calling you to do. What, what that makes me think about is if his church didn't send Billy to camp, if they didn't help him get there, you and I, we would never know the name of Billy Graham. Life changes at camp. I'm a product of Christian camping. I never knew Jesus till I went to camp. There's just something about the mountaintop. When you're away from the distractions of the world and it's just you and God up there, God meets you. And so we have made it a point in our youth group that money is never a reason not to go to camp. That can't be an excuse because salvation is at stake. So my encouragement to you of a practical way that you can be the church is maybe you pick up a jar on your way out. We have jars out there. We do a fundraiser every year. You just take a jar, you fill it with change, and you bring it back. Consider taking a jar. You know what would be really cool? Is if you took a jar, you filled it up with change, you brought it back. Maybe you never see that person again, the kid that that you contributed to. Maybe they don't become the next Billy Graham. But wouldn't it be cool if you were walking around heaven when you get there and somebody walks up to you and goes, hey, thanks for filling a jar. I met Jesus and now I'm here. 
You literally could be. You could be enabling somebody to go to heaven. If that's not the Great Commission, I I don't know what is. And you don't even have to open your mouth. So let me encourage you this morning. Let me encourage you to take some of the things that some of our speakers said and say, and go, look, I'm not just going to come to church on Sunday and, and fill a chair. Today, let today be the day that you start being the church. And understand, I'm speaking to myself. That's why I have so much conviction, is, is I'm speaking to myself. I sit there every Sunday as well, and I get paid. Can we be the church? You know, in the early days, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he left the church in the hands. We're talking thousands of people. We, we read about it th- today. Thousands of people were in this church. It was basically a mega church. The first church was a mega church. And the, the very Messiah that they were all following, peace out, said, hey, I'm going to be with my father. Now it's in the hand of 12 people that just followed him for two years. Just regular, average people. And he goes, okay, go lead my church. Can you imagine that? That's absolutely mind-blowing to me. Every time I read in the New Testament, 12 average Joes, and now they're they're leading a megachurch. Can you imagine that happening at Mariners? Kenton B. Shore just steps down and says, hey, go for it. Janitor and uh, the choir leader, they're, they're going to be your pastors. You know what that tells me? I don't have an excuse. It tells me you don't have an excuse. If it weren't for them, you and I would not be meeting here today. If it weren't for them, that Bible that you have in your hand, you wouldn't have it. There's people in the future, generations from now, that need us. They need you. Can my final encouragement to you today be, let's just do it. Let's be the church. Because the church I hear about in the news is not something I want to be a part of. I'm sorry. I keep hearing about the church, and the the church thinks this, and, and Christians think that. And I'm like, I don't want to be a part of that. You know what I want to be a part of? What Jesus was about. I read about the church and the Bible, and I'm like, this doesn't compute. This is not the church I see today. Christians, can we be the church? Can we do the things? I'm just telling you all what I need to hear. Let me pray a blessing on you and uh, as we exit. And let me ask you to to stand and and get in a posture of receiving, however that looks for you. But I want to bless you and thank you for the church that you are. That nothing could happen in this building and during the week without you. It's, It's really honestly true. I want to thank you for what you've already done for our youth group and our church. So let me, let me bless you this morning. God, we come to you and we thank you for Sanctuary Church, the saints that line the walls of this room. God, the pillars of people that 
have changed lives of the men, women, children that walk through those doors, God. We honor you, God, today, and we thank you for these people, the people of Sanctuary Church, for giving of their time, money, and resources, God. And God, I pray that if we've strayed away from that, if we've strayed away from the commission that we had with you, would you bring us back? And now may the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ rest with us now and forever. Amen.